The Hawks got a win. I promise you, the Hawks got a win. And let me tell you, not only did the Hawks get a win, the Cats are last and footy is awesome again. <laughs> Welcome to the Talkie Hawks podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all Talking Hawks audio content. We connect Hawthorne fans from all around the globe, not just to each other, but to the club as well. I've got Timmy alongside me, mate. If there was one week that I needed an optimist in the house, and it's you, great man, it's this evening. We're on the board, mate. Ten teams have got one win and we're one of them. What an unreal effort over the weekend. I mean, we were challenged a fair few times during the game. And at the end of that third quarter, I thought it looks like North are going to run over us and we can be proud of our third, you know, three-quarter effort. But thankfully, the team held on. And we go into Easter Monday uh, on top of Geelong, 17th versus 18th, the Harley Reid Cup. Maybe Geelong have cut too deep. Yeah, I think, I think it's a form of tanking that needs to be investigated by the AFL. I think they, they're just not naming a side that's capable of playing winning football at the moment. And I think Chris Scott's not going to be there when they play finals again. So, look, I, I think we might have to strip the cup off them. I think that's a, if I think that's appropriate. I don't think draft picks are going to do much for the, for the Cats at the moment. So I think if we strip the cup off them, um, I don't think Sydney should get it because they didn't rock up. We'll just call it a null and void <laughs> flag. And they got to go again, my goodness. But let's talk about the Hawks, mate. Six points is what we do here. And look, this is just three points each, mate, are the, the talking points that we really want to knuckle down on before we get to the live stream, which is, of course, happening as it does every week, Wednesday, 8 o'clock. You can find that on YouTube and Facebook. YouTube, the better place to go. You can subscribe to us there. Aiming for 1,100 before Easter Monday. Need your help. Go and do that as well as giving this podcast a like, a follow. However, your podcast providing platform is asking you to support the show. Please go and do that with a five-star review. Awesome. And if you take the time to write one out, we will read it out on the show. Pampering aside, Timmy, ready to go, mate. Six points. All ready to go, Daz. Beautiful. I like it, mate. And as always, I've done the rambling at the start. You can go first. All right. So uh, my first point was Brocky. So... If we think about it, Tyler Brockman comes into the team. Last time we saw him was around 23 in 2021. He kicked three goals against the then reigning premiers, which was Richmond. Unfortunately, last year was a write-off. I think he played 10 seconds, dislocated his shoulder uh, down at, at VFL level for Box Hill. Came into this year, just had two daughters, pressures on, one-year contract. Comes in yesterday, 11 touches, three goals, seven score involvements, three tackles and was absolutely influential in the way that our forward line and our forward structure looks. So if you think about rounds one and round two, we struggled to kick eight goals you know, throughout those games. So we really, really struggled hitting scoreboard uh, at times. And then yesterday, in the first five minutes, Brocky was launching into the stratosphere, trying to take mark of the year. Sam Mitchell had given him simple instruction, go out there, take mark of the year. Go out there, have a bit of fun, enjoy yourself. And you could just see the smile on his face. He held space in the forward line, ran to terrific spots. And I've seen some comments on uh, social media where they've been talking about Brocky being a combination of Mark Williams and Cyril Rioli. And I thought that's a perfect mix because Cyril was known for those big spectacular hangers, which yesterday Brocky was trying to take. And then Mark Williams was that leading forward who found space was always available, and we saw that yesterday as well. And one funny tidbit, Daz, when I was going back and watching the highlights, when Lloyd Meek missed his chance from directly in front and kicked it out of bounds on the full, it all came about from Brocky's pressure because Brocky's the one who laid the tackle. Mm. So yeah, he, he had a nightmare, Lloyd. <laughs> he did, he did. But if Lloyd kicks that, Brocky has eight score involvements. 
So he's almost had as many score involvements as touches of the pill, as well as kicking three goals. And that steadier in that last quarter where he snapped it right foot, put it through, and then also Dylan Moore. He was the one who handballed to Dylan Moore when he kicked it through and then grabbed the jersey and uh, showed the pride that he has. In terms of Hawthorne moments, and I'm not taking anything away from Brocky here, but Dylan Moore doing the jumper tug there, that was moment of the year for me so far. That has rocketed to number one. You know, for those in the media, and I'm not here to bash individuals, we're all entitled to an opinion, however incorrect it sounds and is. And we'll leave it at that. Try telling these blokes that we're tanking, right? Try looking them in the eye and going, you're not trying to win games. When Dylan Moore's doing that and tugging the jersey, and I'm going to talk about him a little bit later on, Try telling these blokes that the footy club's in shambles. It's just that, and I hate to simplify it too much, mate, because you know this is a very complicated sport. Maybe we were just bad for the opening fortnight. Can it, sometimes it really can be that simple. Oh, absolutely. And you think they've gone through a whole preseason of training. They've put their bodies through you know, arduous amounts of physical toll already so far just to get ready for rounds one and round two. And to then say they're tanking, absolute kick in the guts. For, uh, for those players. So you could see the pride and the passion yesterday. I think Dylan Moore definitely exemplified that Hawthorne spirit that we know that the players have. And one of my favourite KPIs for Brocky on the weekend, 11 touches of the pill and did plenty with it, as you said, mate. 14 pressure acts. All right, you're not going to lay every tackle. We know that. Laid three on the weekend, and like you said, two of them should have resulted in scores, definitely. I think it was him in that second quarter. How he didn't get a holding the ball for one of the greatest throws I've ever seen, I think by Aiden Gore, was just simply befuddling. But, hey, we're not here to complain too much in a win. But Brocky back. But also, mate, how good to see the 33 back in the forward line. And I don't think 33 should ever be given to a defender again. Forwards only. Chris Barlow kind of goes underrated in this sense, but the serial legacy, we need to be giving it to our small forwards. Oh, absolutely. And just watching Brocky on the weekend, you know, seeing the 33 out on the park. Last time we saw it was in 2021. You know, end of last year, I think a lot of us were thinking, are we going to see it again at this level? And then he comes out yesterday and performs the way he did. Huge effort from him. My boy, Brocky. Absolutely, mate. Your article, which you can still check out on TalkingHawks.com, was absolutely awesome. And aging like cheese and wine it was, mate. You were a happy Frenchman at that point. My goodness. I'm going to go to my first point and the second of the show. So you always want to be calm under pressure. We know that. But the Hawks were calm under turnover. So the Hawks had 68 clangers on the weekend, which is just, I mean... Look, it's not good. Plus 11 on the ruse, and we'll plus a lot of things on the weekend. But, you know, we had more of the footy. You're going to turn the ball over more. I understand that. But the calmness came from being able to take territory in these turnovers and not let the ruse get into any kind of transition at all. Only the 44 inside 50s. And at Utahs, which is a ground that can go coast to coast very easily. I mean, I remember a round one game against Brisbane, mate, during our three-peat where they were turning the ball over and we were just going. And we were killing them off half back as well to not let the Roos do that to us. And I don't want to hear any of this. They didn't have Luke Davis Uniac. They didn't have Jai Simkin nonsense. I can't believe I'm going to side with Kane Corns. We also didn't have Mitch Lewis, Cozzy, and Chad Wingard either. Sometimes you've got to play with what you got. And what we had was better on the day. It's simple as that. The other stat that I want to put on, mate, is we forced more turnovers in our defensive 50 then we create, uh, then we had my apologies. And that includes some genuine stinkers from Frosty, who, as long as he's not kicking the footy, Frosty thought he was outstanding on the weekend. And then that ball hits his boot. And look, it's unpredictable for everyone, which has its advantages sometimes. But 
I think the fact that we were able to force North Melbourne into coughing up the ball in their forward 50 rather than us turning it over was a big factor. And, hey, we learned it last week. I think we had 39 inside 50s. Um, if you can't get the ball in your forward line, you can't score. And, and North went through that, obviously, kicking, I think, nine goals, seven on the day. And Combin and Larky didn't have the influence that they threatened to early. So I thought that was really good of the Hawthorne back line too. And I think you're going to talk about them next in more detail, mate. But I think that entire back six, and credit to Josh Ward, John Newcomb, and Jimmy Warple. Maybe statistically, Warple didn't have the best day. But their ability to create extra numbers in our D50, I thought, was awesome. And a point that Sam Mitchell will probably make during the week is got more intelligence in his pinky finger than I do overall, but geez, it was nice to see that when we turned the ball over, we didn't stop. We still acted defensively, which I thought was fantastic and a key contribution, mate. Your second point and the third, please. Yes, and my second point was about that defense holding up. So Jack Scrimshaw came back into the side this weekend, 25 touches, nine marks, a tackle and a goal, but his composure and the way he was measured with the ball coming out of defense was huge. His ability to win those one-on-one contests, whether it was getting a hand in, whether it was slapping it away to Dimmer Hardwick, I thought Scrimshaw was absolutely fantastic. There'd been a bit of scuttlebutt uh, on social media that he wasn't in our best 22, uh, based on him not playing in the probable side for the uh, the intra-club match. And then obviously was out injured and people were saying, is he out injured? Is he not playing because he's not tough enough? so on and so forth. So I thought seeing him come back in and shore up that defense was absolutely magnificent. And I think having him back in helped everyone out. At halftime, CJ was on world record pace in terms of touches. Uh, CJ looked back to his best in terms of composure and being able to take a mark. He was holding on to him. Dimmer Hardwick kept Paul Curtis incredibly quiet. When Cam Zerha was on him, kept him incredibly quiet. Dimmer played an absolutely incredible role. Uh, with the pill as well, being able to use it. Intercept marking from Sam Frost was fantastic. And I think if you go back to week one and week two, Frosty's head was certainly on the chopping block, came out. And as you said, if he didn't have the pill, he looked absolutely magnificent when he did have the pill. Obviously, we saw a bit of frost ball where you weren't sure where the ball was going to head to. And then James Sicily, and I know from hearing a few people throughout the week, they said that Sis had been pretty ordinary last week against the Swans, and you could see yesterday. So you could see yesterday when he was playing on Nick Larkey that he wasn't going to lose any of those contests. He was definitely fired up to make sure that he was leading the team by example. And I thought that back six, the way that they held up, because throughout the week it was all about how many goals is Larkey going to kick, how many will he kick, how many will he kick, and then to hold him to was it nine goals yesterday? Phenomenal effort. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that I know the Hawks want to kick their way out of the back half, which worked really well on the weekend. I think for guys like Frosty, who mightn't be the best by foot, I still think there's a cause for having the sweeper on the outside to just give the handball off to and go from there, which is something that the Hawks can play around with. And how I reckon CJ could genuinely average 25 disposals a game in this competition. And if he's doing that, Yes, please. That's worth the price of admission alone. Thought he was awesome in the first half as well, CJ. But yeah, I agree with you, mate. I think there's a sense of surety down there and the competitiveness. And I think we've got to give credit to the pressure that we put on between the arcs as well. I remember Matty Scarlett, probably the best fullback that I've seen. If not, he's top three. And we can debate that on another show another time. But, you know, he, he used to say the best fullbacks in the world, the best games that he had on his opponents were the games where the midfield was pressured. And, you know, he played in a team where they had superstar midfielders, maybe not the greatest defensively. You know, your James Kelly and Joel Corey's are probably laying more tackles than your Ablett Juniors and your Bartels and the 
and then they used to Stevie J when he used to roll in there. Don't think he was a great defensive player, Stevie J, but I think the better that Frosty and Sicily looked on their taller opponents was because of the fact the ball wasn't coming in with a whole lot of threat. So, yeah, I mean, can you believe people genuinely thought Jack Scrimshaw wasn't in our best 22, mate? Yeah, it's scary. Scary that people didn't think that, especially if you'd watched last season where Scrimmage was in the top 10 for the, the Peter Crimmins medal. And just his measuredness, his composure, you know, the ability of him to be able to hit a target coming out of the, the defence, that's what we wanted. That's what we've been missing. And his ability to win those one-on-one contests through his contested marking and then, you know, that never-say-die attitude that he has as well. And he's just such an infectious player. I loved it after he kicked the goal. I reckon I saw 18 players get around him. So you could mm. certainly see that the boys loved having him back on the park. Yeah, absolutely. So part four, my second part, mate, is uh, I've kind of entitled it inaccurate efficiency. But after four goals, 13 last week, 11-14, look, it's not the conversion that we're kind of looking for here. We think of Nashi who hit the post. Uh, Punky kicked two behinds, one of them a genuine soda. Um, But we had 25 scoring shots, like I mentioned. But from 56 inside 50s, which is 46%, the Hawks now averaging 46.3%. There are currently three teams in the top eight that have a worse conversion rate inside 50, mate. When we talk about why we miss Mitch Lewis, this is why. I mean, the smaller forward line, we'll talk about it probably a bit more in a second. But the fact that we got guys leading up at the footy, a more open forward line, you know, there were shades of Pagan's paddock out there, except uh, clearly we don't have a Wayne Carey, Fergus Green and Brocky, I think, did an excellent job of leading up at the ball. But that 46.3% against a team like Geelong, very good defensively, but as we said, they're going like a busted at the moment. The only team to not win a game. That's got to be what we've got to be looking at. Maybe it's more difficult for Jacob Kaczynski to get back into the side, and that's okay. Pressure for spots is fine, and we still need that big boy down there. Thought Lloyd Meek com- uh, competed really, really well, and sure, maybe hitting the right side of the ball might be a little point of improvement there. But that 46.33%, mate, that's that's not nothing. When you're looking at, yeah, Melbourne, okay, I think they're averaging at the moment about 58.5%, which is ludicrous. For a team that genuinely on the weekend did not play a recognized tall forward, 46% is awesome. And for a team that's missing who Stevie J in his Code Sports Top 20 Forwards ranking article called the 13th best forward in the competition. Not key forward, forward in the competition at 46.33% is a huge tick. And I mean, we just got to keep going boys. If we take territory, we're going to score. It's awesome. I hope we see more of it and adding in the kind of the second point there. Once we get the ball inside 50, great. But if we are turning the ball over, the willingness to work defensively is going to work out. And the player that I look at the most, sort of these two things combined is Josh Ward, who had, in my opinion, in the eye test, the first time I saw the game, probably the quietest 27 disposal game I've ever seen. I've watched the replay. Oh, this boy's tank is outstanding. His delivery inside 50, I think on one occasion, was simply exemplary. And I think he is the kind of guy who other players need to look at and go, this is what we can do if we work both ways. If we can make a U-turn on the Hawk Highway, mate, we're going to be well and truly on our way in there. And then, you know, with more coaching performances like that, maybe Sam Mitchell will be there the next time we play finals. And it might be sooner than some people think. Yeah, absolutely. Joshy Ward, as you said, 27 touches, but his ability to work both ways. And I know that's something we spoke about in the six points after the Essendon game was that he would be one of the best two-way runners in the competition in the future. Based on the three games we've seen so far this year, 
I wouldn't say it's in the future. I'd say at present, he is one of the best two-way runners in the competition because his work rate is through the roof. And as you were talking about, obviously, if we're able to keep that ball in, which we were this week, how much better was it? Because we had these repeated efforts from players like Brocky. You know, Connor McDonald was chasing and chasing, putting pressure on. I love the way that C-Mac was able to hit the scoreboard as well. So... Definitely lots and lots of positives with that smaller forward line. Be interesting to see what happens coming up against Geelong. Uh, who will be missing? Uh, Deconic, who went off today, and he'll be out for, for 12 days at least with a concussion. Yeah, what a big hit that was. And what what I did notice, and this is probably one of those fickle things that just says, Daz, you spend too much time watching football. And uh, me and my missus would agree with you on that one. But what I noticed was so different between the arcs. If the, the Hawks were taking a mark or they got a handball receive, uh, if they were handballing the ball in transition, they weren't then following the man with the ball to create the extra forward of the ball. So if we were turning the ball over, we already had the one spare because they'd given the handball off. And if there was no shepherd option, as there usually isn't in footy now because of the protected area, especially with marks, the fact that we're not now ball following, I think is something to really knuckle down on because it's so. if you go back and watch the game, it's so noticeable. Even guys like CJ, who you think, if you follow him and get a one-two, you know, can run 20, kick 50, and it works like that. But if we are going to be a young team that takes take risks and turns the ball over, it's going to mean nothing if they can just walk the ball down the other end. I thought it was I thought it was simply awesome. So uh, back to you again, I think, mate. Yeah, so my, my third point, the fifth overall, was the, uh, the return of the Meath Menace. So Connor Nash, friend of the podcast... Uh, Talking Hawks podcast. I thought yesterday he was absolutely phenomenal. So first quarter, Ben Cunnington looked like he was getting on top in the midfield. And for those Hawthorne supporters who look back over the last five or six years, except for last year when Cunnington didn't play, he's always haunted Hawthorne midfield because of his size and his ability to get the ball. So he's in and under work. And after the end of the first quarter, Connor Nash went to him. They went head to head. And you could see that Nashy was... He was smarting from last week and he was ready to put his body on the line time and time and time again. Every time Cunnington got the ball, Nash was crunching into him. Nash ended up with 24 touches, which was a career high for him. Nine contested, three clearances, six tackles, five score involvements and a goal assist with what would have been one of the most ugliest kicks I think I've ever seen. But he hit (laughs) Jimmy Warple fair and square on the chest. And then as we were talking about earlier, that last quarter where he picked the ball up from about 45 and snapped it mm-hmm. and it hit the base of the post and going back and watching it, if it went through, it would have been a, a hell of a goal. But who, there was a, a player standing free in the goal square who just let it go. Could have taken the easy mark and gone back and kicked it. But I think, I think that might have been Nightmare Lloyd. It was. I was about to say, but after he missed one from directly in front in the goal square, I think he thought he would just let that one uh, go through. But unfortunately, it didn't. Yeah, Nash is often a whipping boy on social media for, for Hawthorne supporters. Uh, but I thought that, you know, last week he was one of the few players from Hawthorne who showed any physicality against the Swans. And you could see it yesterday, how much he cared. Just that huge effort from the rugby convert, putting his body on the line. He's that big body midfielder we, we have. For him to get career high touches, to hit, you know, six tackles, which was second highest for Hawthorne on the day. And then to stop Ben Cunnington, who was, I guess the only North Melbourne renowned midfielder uh, who in that first quarter was looking absolutely terrific. For him to put the clamps down on him, I thought it was absolutely wonderful. So well done, Nashi. Yeah, I like it as well. I think with the footy, he had his troubles, but I don't think that 
Um, I don't think the midfield gets helped anywhere near as much without, like you said, that job on Cunnington. So, great man, great fan of the pod, and how good is it when our boys perform? Um, and yeah, I mean, we had 12 players with 20-plus disposals. I'd love to know the last time we did that. I think it would have been a little while ago. And I'm going to finish with a job that, that there are certain positives. I do miss writing the player review sometimes, Timmy Smithy, although he's making that even more so because he's genuinely dominating. He's taking the PI double five, the great man, and everyone should be running after this podcast to go and check it out to see what you agree with, disagree with, and, of course, letting us know on the socials. But And I've loved chatting to you, Timmy, but if I could ask Smithy one thing, he's a very busy man on the weekend, Smith. Very hard to get a hold of. Um, bit rude, but that's okay. It's only 11 years of friendship, but that's fine. How in the... I'll be PG here. How in the absolute heck do you pick between Will Day and Dylan Moore for best on ground? Someone explain this to me. So Will Day stats, 29 disposals, 20 of them kicks, by the way. 86% disposal efficiency, if you don't mind, umpire. Seven of those contested, nine score involvements, 11 marks, five clearances, four tackles, speaking of three, uh, two-way running, four rebounds and three inside 50s. He kicked a point, and let's be honest, Will, lucky to score, mate. It's got to hit your foot better than that. Um, My goodness. But, you know, you're thinking, what can top that? And in Smithy's mind, Dylan Moore did, and I can't say that I'll blame him. 26 touches, 18 of them kicks, five contested, 76% disposal efficiency, 12 marks. The man's four foot three. He's taking nine marks. Oh, that's a bit harsh on you, Dylan Moore. Yeah, no one loves Dylan more than me. But nine score involvements. He kicked two, one. Uh, he had seven inside 50s, a couple of clearances, both in the second half, I think, pretty influential as well. Went down for a rebound as well. Three total tackles. One of them was inside 50 as well. Uh, I've got, and I'm not doing this to promote myself, mate, but I've got a Brownlow simulating algorithm that I've got that I've worked on the last five years. It really is my baby at the moment. That had them on exactly the same amount of match points, 36 and a half. How do you pick it? Seriously, they were both amazing. And that, of course, that doesn't even take into consideration the likes of Sicily, Ward, Scrimshaw, um, maybe even Dimmer. And, of course, if CJ had it continued on his merry way, I think he had six stars locked up at halftime. Yeah, absolutely phenomenal from both those boys. The other thing you forgot to, to mention about Daisy is uh, lightly framed, got absolutely cannon into by Griffin Logue and got, got back two, up. Griffin. Well, yeah, he did, but I think Daisy got split against the Swans. So, had the stitches taken out yesterday after the game. And then, you know, there's not very much of him. Got absolutely bulldozed, bounced straight back up. He just goes, wow. Like, and then listening to Mitch talk about him, Mitch said he's one of the toughest blokes at the club. And that's, you know, that, that's a huge rap for him coming from, from someone, you know, of the ilk of Sam Mitchell. But as you said, trying to, to pick between the two of them is like trying to pick which one of my kids is my favourite. And, uh, to, you know, I think well, based they won't on listen for a while. Game, which one is it, Timmy? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we'll play straight back that one. There's, uh, there's no favourites. But, yeah, trying to pick one yesterday, both of them were absolutely tremendous. And I think, you know, if we can get that type of effort week in and week out from both Daisy and also Dilmore, you know, the future looks incredibly bright. Yeah, it does. I apologize if just over your comment there, my chair is just unbelievably squeaked. So I hope that didn't take away from the audio quality for the listeners now. But that is the six points, mate. The last thing we'll react to before we move on is just before we jumped on, it was revealed that John Newcomb received a $1,000 fine uh, for his action, I think, on Griffin Logue again. And I'll just get you to react to it because in my opinion, and I'm speaking this as a footy fan, not a Hawthorne fan, I don't think he should have played next week with what he did. 
I think the deliberate trip and the chicken wing and the driving uh, Logan into the ground, I, it wasn't a good look optically. And I, and the purest way of why I, I think he should miss a week is so he doesn't do it again. It just, it's not a, it didn't look like a footy action to mine. And I think he's incredibly lucky to, to be playing next week. And I hope that he kind of gets the fear of God put into him. And if he is going to put a tackle on, by all means, grab the arm. Got no problem with that. But I've got a bit of a problem with the trip and the fact that Griffin Logue didn't really have anywhere that he could look after himself. I get it's a hard sport. It's a tough sport. But we've seen players get suspended for less, mate, uh, even this year. So I think he's a very lucky boy. What did you make of it? Yeah, I think the, the one saving grace uh, for Duke was that he didn't pull the arm behind Griffin Logue's yeah. back. So while he held Checking it out, off. yeah, so while he held it out sort of dead straight, I think that was the one saving grace he had because if he had bent the elbow back and, and put it behind uh, behind Griffin Logue's back, I think it would have been at least one, maybe two. Uh, and then depending on, on the severity of it in terms of injury, uh, could even have been more depending on, on what happened. So I think he's very lucky to to have got away, but I think there was probably a technicality there in terms of having the straight arm rather than bending it behind his back. And after how well Cam Guthrie played against the Suns, he v. Jai on the weekend could be something to look out for. But that's it, mate. Six points done and dusted. Thank you for listening to the Talking Hawks podcast. We connect Hawthorne fans from all around the globe, not just to each other, but to the club. As well, mate, you've been doing fantastic things. Soaring to new heights is where you can check out all of the Hawthorne AFLW content. Timmy does a great job. Liam does a great job. The AFLW draft coming up very shortly, so we know that you two will be very busy with that, mate. Thanks for jumping on with us. And just quickly, one thing you're looking forward to when we face the Cats, in case we can't get you on throughout the week, I should say. Tyler Brockman. I'm looking forward to seeing Brocky take mark of the year because he, uh, he had five opportunities on the weekend. And now we're all warm-ups. And if we're talking about six points, the number six is going to stick. All right. And he might take it on number 44, Tommy Shield as well. Thanks again, Timmy. And thank you so much for listening. Follow the podcast. Subscribe on YouTube. Follow on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Enjoy your week. Join us for the live stream Wednesday, 8 o'clock, YouTube and Facebook. And most of all, go the Hawks. Hawks.